What's up, everyone? This is Must Go Faster, a pop culture podcast for the people. I'm your co-host, Ben Braylinger, broadcasting from Brooklyn. And I'm Robert Denfeld out in sunny Long Beach, California. So we took a little break due to some scheduling conflicts, but we're back now and excited to give you all some fresh Must Go Faster content. In this episode, we're going to cover HBO's Big Little Lies. Uh, Five Came Back, which is the new Netflix docu-series about Hollywood and World War II. And we're also going to touch on the hilarious and tragic box office result of Shia LaBeouf's latest movie. But first, we're going to preview the films we can't wait to see for the remainder of 2017. You know, as we enter spring, we thought it'd be a good time to count down our five most anticipated movies for the rest of the year. And what we recommend that you guys look forward to. Um, You know, I would say I almost enjoy the anticipation leading up to a movie rather than (laughs) experiencing the movie itself at times. Yeah, uh, it's fair to say. I think, you know, kind of unique. But I mean, if a trailer, yeah, if the if, you know, the buzz is big and the Uh marketing is awesome and you just are thinking about that moment of first seeing it, you know, in theaters, that excitement can be, you know, is is almost like more than the excitement of like experiencing the movie itself. Yeah. Anyways, so um, that's what we're going to talk about, the ones that we're most anticipating here. And uh, now for our top five, um, we made it so there isn't any overlap between uh, my list or Rob's list. Uh, Some of Rob's choices are in my overall top five and vice versa. But to give you guys more of a range, we made each list unique. So here are our top five in no particular order. Uh, Rob's going to kick things off with Alien Covenant. What happened here? All right, so you just heard a clip from Alien Covenant from the trailer, and this is the the eighth movie in the Alien franchise. Um, it's crazy, eighth movie. Yeah, I know. <laughs> well, I think that. that's I think that's yeah. including Alien vs Predator. So oh, okay, maybe got we can you. say seven. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, maybe not count that. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Some obviously better than others, um, but this one is uh, directed by Ridley Scott again, and it's considered really um, the second film in the the prequel trilogy. So we had obviously Alien, Aliens, uh, Alien 3, I forget what the, the full title of that is, um, but then Prometheus came out in 2012 uh, to mixed, mixed reviews. I loved it. Um, a lot of sci-fi. Really? You loved it? I did. Mm. How did you feel about it? Uh, I thought it was overall a bit disappointing. Um, okay. Again, this was a case where the marketing for it was amazing. I just thought it was like a little. So yeah, my anticipation level was like really high. That right. was uh, that year was definitely in my top five most anticipated. Um, but it just kind of didn't live up to those expectations. It was really into like the mythology, right. if I recall correctly. But I do want to rewatch. I haven't seen it since seeing it in theaters. I know. I uh, want to see so, it again too. I, I've watched it yeah. once since, but it was it was probably I don't know four years ago at this point. So I definitely want to watch that again before before seeing this one. Um, so. Just a few details about it. it. You know, it stars Michael Fassbender. Uh, well, three actors are reprising their roles from Prometheus: Michael Fassbender, uh, Naomi Rapace, and Guy Pearce. Um, and then some of the new actors in this one are Catherine Waters- Waterston, James Franco, Billy Crudup, Danny McBride. So you know, it's a star-studded, pretty exciting cast. Um, the trailer's really exciting. I mean, it looks like a looks like an action you know banger just uh horror yeah yeah i mean i I think like more 
I saw Ridley Scott has gone on record saying that his main goal of this movie is to literally scare the S out of you. Nice. And <laughs> He's gone on record many times, yeah. Yeah, it looks like you can definitely anticipate some aliens hatching out of human bodies, so that's always exciting for people. Worth, yeah, worth the price <laughs> of admission, for sure. Yeah, and it, it looks like a really, you know, fun, uh, action-packed uh, sci-fi thriller um, and I wanted to mention this is one of three films this year or in 2017 that will receive a 70 milli- 70 millimeter IMAX release. Um, oh, the, nice. I yeah, the other two, yeah. the other two are actually uh, movies that we're going to talk about later. So all three are in our, our top 10 here. Um, but yeah, so the trailer is out now for Alien Covenant. Uh, looks really exciting. Um, I wanted to mention the the Meet Walter clip. So Walter is the android character in this movie, played by Michael Fassbender. Uh, the last android was Walter, played by Michael Fassbender also. So he's reprising his role as the android, but it's a different android this movie. So that'll be interesting to see. Um, but the just the way they market the... the uh, the Walter character and the Android character is really interesting. Um, I'm sorry. I, I said Walter as both characters. The The previous movie, uh, Prometheus, his name was David. Sorry. Um, but anyway, uh, I just like the way they market this. And it's they put out this Meet Walter clip you can look up. And it just shows sort of the making of this Android. Um, but it's it's content that's not in the feature film, so yeah, I just, just like, like viral the, marketing content. Yeah, yeah, I like the way they do that. It's pretty unique. You don't see a Expands lot of fans the world. Yeah, you don't see a lot of movies doing that these days, um, and just creating content just for buzz. And I think that's a cool thing they do. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm excited for this one. Yeah, no, likewise, I would say Alien is like the original Alien is in my top thirty of all time. It's not my okay. top ten, but my top thirty for sure. And okay. Yeah, I mean, you see the xenomorph, which is the iconic creature from the Alien franchise. You right. see it uh, just at the very end of the latest trailer, and it seems like they're not, um, I don't know, if you're a fan of the xenomorph, like it seems like they're not going to skimp out on not showing the xenomorph. Definitely so not. I think that at the at the end of the day, like people just want to see that yeah. creature going nuts on human bodies, and I, <laughs> I don't think people are going to be disappointed in that sense. Sure. I, I may argue that there's a little too much of it in the trailer, especially that last mm. shot where where he's or the alien is sort <laughs> yeah, of like slamming his face into the ship. Action star. Yeah. yeah like it, it almost looks like yeah, my roommate was like it's like he's the alien's like Jason Statham in the Transporter <laughs> movie or something. You know? Totally. It's like, eh, you know. Yeah. Um but yeah, no, definitely excited for that one as yeah. well. And and by the way, um, the so, ship the ship is named Covenant. That's that's sort of where the name uh, comes from it was originally going to be called uh, alien paradise lost but they mm. changed it to alien covenant nice so, so uh, uh what's what's your first movie yeah the first one on my list is a uh, baby driver he had an accident when he was a kid still has a hum in the drum plays music to drown it out and that's what makes him the best whoa, 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 whoa. one more job and i'm done so this is the new movie from Edgar Wright, who you may know uh, from Hot Fuzz, Shaun of the Dead, really original director. And uh, so this movie stars uh, Kevin Spacey, John Hamm, Jamie Foxx, and uh, this actor Ansel Elgort, who plays a character by the name of Baby. So kind of the premise of this movie is uh, after being coerced into working for a crime boss, a young getaway driver by the name of Baby finds himself taking part in a final heist. 
And kind of the the hook with this movie is when this character was young, he had an accident that left a constant humming in his ear. And he listens to music constantly to even things out. And this movie premiered at South by Southwest this year and was kind of like the it must-see movie of South by that generated like the most buzz. I remember uh-huh. the night this premiered, just kind of scrolling through my Twitter feed, and it was just like tons of reactions to this movie like people are gonna love this when it comes out nice it was described as a uh, musical car chase hmm. and the trailer which you can check out on youtube it, it is just completely like explosive the editing yeah. is insane i think edgar wright is known for that type of uh style in his movies uh-huh. i saw a critic compare it to the movie is is like heat the jukebox musical or something huh. like it's just uh taking taking like <laughs> the crime right right i it, Kind of just seeing it as like a musical crime movie. So I think I'm pretty sure like music is played constantly throughout the film and it kind of uses that to its full advantage to to make a car chase more exciting and there's a lot of quick editing and that's really evident in the trailer. And I can just totally see this being a big summer hit due to the just the originality and how fun it looks. Uh, It's coming out in late June. Um, they actually moved up the release six weeks earlier after the reaction of South by. I think they oh. figured like, let's push this up. People are going to love this. We had a great South by reaction. So yeah. it's coming out in late June and I can just see it also having like a, a high potential for like a cult following, you know, yeah. a movie that over the years develops a, a cult like fan base. So yeah, I'm really excited for baby driver. Yeah. The trailer was really fun and it kind of reminded me or made me think of drive, which also is sort of a, a cult following mm-hmm. movie. Definitely, um, definitely. I don't know how similar it, it will ultimately be, but it looked similar. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, real quick, I, I I think I forgot to mention May 19th for Alien Covenant um, as the release date. Oh, yeah, yeah, it's coming out soon. So, uh, yeah, Baby Driver coming out late June. Uh, Rob, what's your what's your next, what's next on your list? So next, I wanted to mention Blade Runner uh, 2049, uh, which is the you know, widely anticipated sci-fi release Um the original directed by Ridley Scott, who, you know, I just mentioned as the director of uh, Alien. But this this one comes out October 6th this year. Um, it's directed by uh, Denis Villeneuve. Or Villeneuve. <laughs> uh, something like that. That's actually, that's a pretty good pronunciation. Yeah, I Denis used to call Villeneuve. him like Denis Villanueva or something. It's <laughs> yeah. like, and then I heard I know someone that's say like, Denis Villanueva. It's like, oh, okay. Charlie Villanueva. Uh, right. <laughs> no. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so he's coming off, uh, Arrival last year, which was a, a you know, really well-received, uh, sci-fi mm-hmm. movie, Sicario and Prisoners. But, so this is Blade Runner, the follow-up to the, uh, 1982 hit, um, Classic. and this one stars Ryan Gosling as, uh, Officer K of the LAPD. And I, I don't know if he's exactly, uh, sort of reprising the role that um, Harrison Ford played in the original. I think he's but... like a similar, he's like a detective the same way Harrison Ford's character was. Yeah. Harrison Ford himself is in this movie. Right. I, I saw I saw him listed in the cast and you know, Jared Leto and Robin Wright, a um, few, other, few other big names and some interesting people. Uh, this, this franchise is based off the Philip K. Dick novel, uh, Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep? Uh, which is really, yeah. Um, And I don't know, people who haven't seen the original may not be that excited for this movie, but I mean, maybe go back and watch it again or or watch it for the first time. It's It's a really interesting sci-fi. Yeah. I actually uh, recently rewatched about a week ago, the original Blade Runner, which I hadn't seen in years. Um, 
saw it on my my roommate's girlfriend has a projector in her apartment and oh, it cool. was an amazing selection to uh to watch blade runner like projected on our wall yeah and you know i don't I wouldn't say I love Blade Runner, but I would definitely say it's something that everyone who considers themselves a movie fan like needs to watch at least once. Yeah, I would say the world bu- the world building is really what separates it and makes it a a classic. And I would it's say just the same. Very cinematic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's just the atmosphere. Uh, it, the influence is you you can't discredit. I mean, right? It's. It really like has influenced so many modern movies the way they build worlds and kind of just the, the look and feel and how people interact in this world and it's it's definitely that alone is is worth seeing so yeah. uh, i'm excited for this as well especially given the people attached to it the director and you know ryan gosling is kind of been batting a thousand in the last few years he's, of his career he's so the it uh, boy right now yeah and there's a you know, there's a good teaser of this online they haven't released yeah. the full trailer but it's enough to kind of get your appetite going yeah exactly i was going to mention that um yeah so i agree with what you said it's not my favorite sci-fi movie or uh, at times i the first time i saw it i wasn't sure i even liked it that much but yeah it's same, stu- actually yeah. It, it stuck with me and and i think what you said about the world building is is really what makes it and it's just a cool cool movie to look at and, and experience so I'm, I'm looking forward to the, the next one. So my next movie is one called, it's tentatively named God Particle. So this one is, yeah, I think a little lesser known than the movies we, we've uh, mentioned prior. This is the uh, third installment of J.J. Abrams' Cloverfield series, and it's me- meant to take place in the events right before that first Cloverfield back in 2008. Okay. And we really don't know much yet about this film. Uh, <laughs> the, the IMDb synopsis is a shocking discovery forces a team of Asher aboard a space station to fight for survival while their reality has been altered. So uh, that's kind of the elevator pitch. And the director is uh, Julius Ona, hmm. and who I, I never heard of. Uh, the cast is fairly nameless, with the exception of uh, David uh, Away. Uh, uh, oh, 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 Wall. <laughs> I don't know how to pronounce that. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah. The, he was in Selma. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. Man, I should have practiced that. No, no. <laughs> there on that one. But I, I, that was a shot in the anyway, dark. Anyway, um, that, that's kind of the only, yeah, the only the only uh, cast member that I recognized. But I'm intrigued by this movie. I think, I hope the name ends up being God Particle because I think that's just a very uh, interesting name and something that kind of just grabs your attention immediately. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, it takes place in the Co- Cloverfield universe, and I like that they're applying that universe to space, hmm. something that they haven't done before. Um, I was a big fan of 10 Cloverfield Lane. It was one of my top five movies of, of last year. Right. And yeah, I mean, like I said, we don't know really much about this movie at all. There's no poster. <laughs> there's no teaser trailer. Um, and I could see it. <laughs> if having... I don't know much, you mean don't yeah. know anything? That's that's right. Yeah, because yeah. I, I honestly like God, you, you said the title God Particle. That's it's almost the first I've heard of it. Yeah, <laughs> no, I mean I don't blame you. It it really, I mean, it's been picked up a little bit in, in some of the popular movie blogs, but yeah, since there hasn't been any marketing yet, there isn't much to talk about. Mm-hmm. But it is coming out later this year in October, right before Halloween. I could see it having a really cool viral marketing campaign like okay. the original Cloverfield had. Uh-huh. And yeah, I mean, just ultimately taking the Cloverfield idea and doing it in space, um, I just think could be really cool. So I'm definitely looking forward to to God Particle. Nice. Uh, Rob, what's what's next on your, your list? So this is a biggie. <laughs> the enemy tanks have stopped. 
Why? Why waste precious tanks when they can pick us off from the air like fish in a barrel? The next on my list is Dunkirk, the new film written and directed by Christopher Nolan. I don't know if people have heard of him. He's done a few little movies. Indie director, uh, you know. Yeah. Um, he's coming off. The last movie he did was Interstellar, which was a, a pretty big hit. Um, I loved it. Some people were iffy on it. But uh, anyway, this, this movie, Dunkirk, comes out July 21st. And the tagline for the film, or at least what's on the movie poster, is the event that shaped our world. Um, I don't know how how they mean by that, but uh, anyway, um, the the premise is it's a historical nonfiction, which which right off the bat is interesting because I don't know, I don't think that Christopher Nolan has done any sort of uh, historical uh, nonfiction right, I don't, f- yeah. film other than Batman, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. Batman Begins. The true story of Batman. (laughs) Um, Uh, Batman Begins was so, like, down-to-earth that it was, like, (laughs) actually uh, nonfiction. Yeah, Um, right. Um, Yeah, so this movie, it's it's definitely going to be a a change. You know, he's been doing... uh, Christopher Nolan's been doing a lot of sci-fi stuff and and Batman, the Batman series, obviously, and, uh, you know, Inception, Interstellar. Um, But this one, it's... uh, sort of recounting uh the battle of dunkirk or actually i'm sorry it's i don't know exactly Eva- like evacuation yeah the evacuation yeah it was evacuation like a bad world war ii yeah the beaches yeah. of dunkirk france um right after the battle of france um uh, on the western front of during world war world war ii sort of the early stages of world war ii and nazi germany had trapped uh some 400,000 allied troops uh, on these beaches and they sort of pin them in uh, by the looks of it. I, I'm not, I'm not a world war two historian. Um, I, as I get older in life, I'm reading and watching and, and, you know, gaining, uh, not that I wasn't interested in it, but I've, you know, sort of neglected the, the deep uh, understanding of the conflict uh and and so this I'm excited to see this movie and it's it's something that you know a story that I didn't know a ton about or I still don't know a ton about and seems like a really harrowing story about uh, the, you know these Allied troops that were trapped and sort of penned in um, by Nazi Germans and and they were cut off in a way and and I guess it looks from the looks of the trailer they were attacked by the air mostly mm-hmm. by um you know german planes and fighter pilots and you know i i don't know the exact totals but it says i i saw 68,000 british troops were killed or wounded uh and and even more french troops um which is sort of you know that's a staggering number Definitely. and i also saw at least a thousand civilians were killed during this during this conflict and it lasted over uh, the course of I guess eight or nine days between mm-hmm. uh, May 26th and June 4th, uh, mm-hmm. 1940. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, so this is going to be a really, I'm sure, tough watch. An event like yeah. experience as all. Well, and like Christopher Nolan, like, yeah, I mean, it'll be interesting. I know, I, I believe it's 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 going to be rated PG-13. I think that already came out, and some people are like expecting maybe it would go R given the, the content of the film and mm-hmm. that it's about war which is uh, a very violent subject matter. Right. But um, I, yeah, I think it'll be interesting to have yeah, a director like Christopher Nolan, who's known for these, you know, 
crowd pleasing, but yet like intellectual blockbusters. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I think I Interstellar I thought had brilliant moments, but overall I thought I, I wasn't a huge fan. I thought it. I like to use the uh, snobby phrase "crumbled under the weight of its own ambition." Yeah, um, I said I said I loved it, but maybe I maybe I enjoyed it and and liked yeah. it. Yeah, so and Dark Knight Rises, his movie prior to that, um, I felt kind of the same. Where there were some great moments, but as a whole, especially in the third act, I think it kind of just fell apart. So I'm kind of hoping mm-hmm. that Nolan, who's definitely one of my uh, favorite directors working today, uh, you know, the Dark Knight series, Inception, Memento. Um, hope, I'm hoping he can kind of like write the ship and, and, and make, I, I feel like, you know, this has a chance to be his like, uh, most well-liked movie by critics and, yeah. and audiences since, uh, you know, inception. Sure. Uh, so yeah, I'm excited for this one as well. One, one note, other note I wanted to make about this movie is that, um, you know, the boy band One Direction, <laughs> I was uh, going to say, men from One Direction, <laughs> Harry Styles is making his, uh, I believe it's his acting debut as and Alex. My brother and I were joking <laughs> that, uh. Poor Harry Styles, I bet, is going to be like just brutally mutilated in the opening five minutes. So, so <laughs> Nolan's getting like all the uh, all the traffic to his movie from like One Direction fans, only to like just have him like slaughtered in the opening, hey. like, you know, before the credits. I don't know. I mean, that that's, might not be that's true, smart but marketing. I think it would be. I think it would be cruel yet uh, funny if that happened. No offense to One Direction, but uh, anyway. So what's what's your next film? So my next movie is it. I saw something. There was this clown. Yeah, I saw him too. So this, as I think most people know, is the uh, the classic horror novel from Stephen King. They did a mini series of this back in I think the early '90s. And I mean, my biggest takeaway from this is is clowns are terrifying. I mean, that is not a controversial statement. I think most people are at a baseline like uh uncomfortable around clowns uh and i think a lot (laughs) of people are terrified and the trailer for this came out uh, about like two weeks ago and i think i saw that it was the most watched trailer in youtube history within like 48 hours like it was breaking records and that's cool this movie had been in like uh uh, development for a while they've been trying to find the right director and now you know it's i think it's done being filmed they're probably in post-production and it's coming out in september and this trailer is is really effective. I think oh, if yeah. you if you swap the clown with kind of like a standard monster or villain, it would probably look generic, and you'd probably be like, "Oh, this is like some you know pretty cool horror fair that's coming out in September." I may check it out if it has good reviews. But they are showing a clown. This is it, and because it is a clown, like I think it's really creepy. Oh yeah, I think they do a very good job of teasing out the clown, which I believe his the name is Pennywise. You yeah. see like just enough. Um, but not too much. They do a nice, like, slow reveal. Mm-hmm. And it's definitely uh, pulling a page out of the Stranger Things playbook. Mm. Uh, there's actually the the character, I, I, don't, I forget his name, Mike. but yeah, who played Mike in Stranger Things. Yeah. Is in, yeah, is in is in It. And look, I think there there is a decent chance that this could be bad. But I have faith. Um, <laughs> the trailer is, is, yeah, as I said, horrifying. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm excited for this and, you know, coming out in, in September, it'll be about a month before Halloween. I mean, if I, if it gets good reviews and has good word of mouth, this is going to be like, uh, I think smash box office records Huge as box far office. as like R rated yeah. 
horror movies go. So, uh, yeah, that is that is it. Yeah, I definitely <laughs> highly recommend this trailer for anybody. Um, yeah. I, I jumped in the trailer, actually, and got <laughs> I, I got some fear chills even. Uh, it was, yeah. yeah, really effective trailer, as you said. Um, nice. So my next film is Coco. <laughs> which is a, we're doing a, a bit 180 of a, here, a bit yeah. of a yeah a bit of a uh, transition there we have range i have to sing i have to play the music it's it's not just in me it is me when life gets me down i play my guitar so coco if people don't know is a pixar film it's the new Pixar, well, Cars 3 is coming out this year, but I'm not, I'm not You're really, I probably Cars won't 3. see that. I, I never, <laughs> yeah, I never saw Cars 2. So um, this Coco comes out in November, November 22nd. Um, and the director is Lee Uncrich, uh, who did Toy Story 3 and mm. uh, co-directed Finding Nemo, Toy Story 2 and Monsters, Inc. So right there, those are some of the biggest Pixar movies to date. Um and it, this movie, it looks to be sort of a musical story uh, about a, I believe, Mexican child. Um, and he he's a guitar player. And I'm not really sure. You don't get a lot of detail from the trailer as exactly as to exactly what is happening with uh, with his life and you know who he is and and stuff. But he's he's a young boy who is obsessed with guitar and obsessed with this. Uh, guitar player um, sort of his idol and things and I don't know the trailer goes into an interesting place Uh, he sort of enters this uh, this world of like the dead or something yeah yeah which is pretty like uh, provocative territory for an animated yeah for Pixar. Pixar I mean they do push boundaries but it was still like I was struck by that. They definitely do push boundaries. And that's something that um, I wanted to mention also. Like when you go back and watch Pixar movies, there there is a lot of, I mean, sexual innuendo. And I mean, they really <laughs> push the limits. They're, they've always been movies. Undertones. Yeah, they've been movies that are obviously animated and for kids. But also they've always they've always struck a chord with adults and they do a really great yeah, job. Definitely. Yeah, they do such a good job of, uh, you know, appealing to... A, a wide audience and and making it interesting for the parents you know to go see with the kids and and honestly uh you know adults are kids that have just grown up and you know that it's it's very uh, profound rob uh, right <laughs> i just i just went to disneyland this week again so i, I mean right. i'm in that the child inside you <laughs> yeah. Is, is, yeah, um, is alive and well <laughs> yeah but i mean also maybe that's what is causing me to say that is just going to disneyland and seeing how many adults are there and how how profoundly impactful these movies are to people and not just kids it's you know they they create a, sort of this this following and, and people love them and I'm excited. Uh, there there's been a few sort of less than amazing Pixar releases and a lot of sequels. You know, Cars three I mentioned, mm-hmm. Planes, and I think there was a Planes two. I'm not even sure. Planes? Yeah, is that a Pixar? I think right. Uh, I don't think or. I have to go through their IMDb. I don't oh. think planes. I know they have had a few missteps. Um, or there was like uh, Brave. Yeah, Brave. Remember Brave? Or then the dinosaur. The good the dinosaur. dinosaur. Those were kind of. I actually like liked not, that a lot. Yeah, I liked that a yeah. lot. Yeah, it just wasn't as like 
I haven't seen it, but I yeah, it didn't have as much impact. Yeah, it as, wasn't like, a smash the, hit. The classics. Yeah, but they you know yeah. they did do uh, Inside Out, which you know won the won oh, an Oscar right. and yeah, that, that was actually great. yeah, that, that was like yeah two years ago. <laughs> yeah, um, but yeah, so this is Coco, and there's a there's a dog character in the film, which you know people will love. Um, it looks really interesting. The trailer's out um, on all the platforms, so check out the trailer. It's still a ways away, but it looks looks to be a fun one. So uh, bringing things back into kind of the thriller realm is my next movie which is mother with an exclamation mark (laughs) is the name of it so this is the new film from uh auteur director darren aronofsky who also wrote the script and like god particle we don't know much about this one yet there's no trailer or poster um, but we do know that it centers on a couple whose relationship is tested when uninvited guests arrive at their home disrupting their tranquil existence that's kind of the boilerplate description uh, listen to this cast: Javier Bardem, Jennifer Lawrence, Ed Harris, Kristen Wiig, Michelle Pfeiffer. Jeez, pretty pretty strong. Yeah. yeah. And when you working with a director like Aronofsky, I mean, is very intriguing. Oh um, yeah. You know, as probably most people know, uh, Aronofsky has you know had a career for the last twenty years. He's most recently did Noah, which I wasn't a huge fan of, but he's also done Black Swan. He did The Wrestler, Requiem for a Dream pie the fountain Mm -hmm. he's definitely an interesting director with a very specific vision Mm -hmm. and uh he shot this movie i saw in 16 millimeter so it'll have a lot of graininess i know he he shot a few other films in 16 16 millimeter yeah the wrestler and a few others but uh i read that this movie had will have a big black swan vibe nice and i remember seeing black swan in theater and it had it was like one of the most unnerving movie theater experiences i've ever had the tension was so high i (laughs) love yeah i think we talked about it like right after or like texted after we saw it i feel like yeah quick anecdote i i after black swan i went out onto the street and just sat on a bench for like 10 minutes on the street and and just like reflected on that experience yeah so he makes very profound sort of existential in theme uh films and so i'm i'm anticipating that again yeah this is coming out in october so yeah similar to god particle will be nice in that uh the month of halloween a nice lead up to that so that is mother uh rob what is your your final selection of your top five so this is a really interesting one and something that i know we're both really excited about um oh, yeah. this is the untitled paul thomas anderson project and that is how it's listed i'm not i'm not just making that up rumored uh, a rumor name fan the phantom thread i've heard is a rumored name yeah i was gonna get to that um oh, sorry. so <laughs> sorry. no that's okay <laughs> no, totally fine yeah, yeah. Um, I think it's still currently filming. Um, it may be close to being wrapped at this point. Um, but so Paul Thomas Anderson, as most people probably know, is a really uh, unique uh, auteur director. Um, he's maybe the most sort of auteur of that, if you define that word, uh, director going these days. Um, his films are always so, uh, you know, close to what he had in mind you know i mean he has sort of this this power over studios to make exactly what he wants and yeah. uh you know like stanley kubrick yeah exactly yeah. exactly uh sort of like uh, he and quentin tarantino maybe are the two right now making films like this um anyway this this stars uh the god daniel day lewis uh coming off yes. of uh, his last 
his last role was uh, in Steven Spielberg's Lincoln in 2012. So, I mean, he really doesn't act much these days or ever. And when he does, he just wins Oscar. Yeah, I was going to say. The best the, performance of the year. Yeah, yeah like, two out of the last three performances he's done, he's won Best Actor. So, yeah. you know it's he's going to bring the heat. Yeah, um, yeah. oh yeah. <laughs> the other one was, uh, as Daniel Plainview in Paul Thomas Anderson's There Will Be Blood in 2007. So, the two are teaming up again. Um, one of the best actors, one of the best directors. Uh, what more can you really say? Um, it, uh, their anticipated release date for this is Christmas of 2017. So, we'll see if that if that happens. We'll be spending our Christmas morning at the movie theater. Oh, yeah. Oh, Sorry. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Yeah, we're, we're going, I'm going straight to the theater, not opening presents. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think uh, an interesting aspect of this film is that it, it's set in 1950s London, uh-huh. which I think is an interesting time period and location. It's the first for Paul Thomas Anderson to shoot in. Almost all of his movies have... Uh, you know, a different time period. He likes to experiment in that realm. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you mentioned yet, kind of like just the initial setup. So it's about the um, the fashion industry. So Daniel Day-Lewis plays this dressmaker mm-hmm. who is commissioned to design for members of high society and like the royal family. And apparently he's like really eccentric. And that's that's like essentially all we know as far as the plot. Um, it's not based off of any, you know, novel or existing source. But I mean, you know, on paper that may, seem, may not seem like much, but... Right. When you think of it's Paul Thomas Anderson, it's Daniel Day-Lewis, it's, this is must-see if you even remotely care about movies. Totally. And you mentioned the uh, the rumored title of The Phantom Thread, and that came from uh, some set photos that were taken, uh, and it, it came off of like uh, some, some signs and some trucks that were labeled with The Phantom Thread um, during these this this shoot uh that somebody captured these photos um and it was in a graveyard um in in england so you know who knows the phantom thread graveyard scene i don't know if maybe there's sort of a a dark twist to this film or or whatever but uh, i'm sure there's some darkness to it yeah. yeah um yeah you know you said the fashion scene in 1950s london it's not exactly like the most uh wide wide sort of target uh audience there but yeah yeah uh but it's it's paul thomas anderson so he does whatever he wants um and i will see it and i'll pay for it so uh yeah absolutely that's something i know we're both it's it's in prime oscars release time so i'm sure it will be getting a lot of buzz later this year so my final choice for most anticipated for the rest of the year we we have to mention this one of course is star wars episode eight the last jedi so this has to be on the list i mean it's it's a new star wars movie um the most recent ones force awakens and rogue one i know we were both pretty big fans of and you know it's kind of surprising they don't have a trailer for this yet considering that it's coming out you know we're we're in april now it's coming out in december Comparing this to Rogue One and Force Awakens, we had already seen at least like one full trailer at this point. So I, I feel like a, a trailer is pretty imminent. Um, mm-hmm. I feel like in the like within the next month, we're going to see one. For sure. And so this is a direct sequel to The Force Awakens, and it pretty much returns all the main characters. And of course, people are most anticipating uh, Luke Skywalker's role. Um, it's been confirmed that he's going to have heavy involvement in this one. And it, it essentially, I think, takes place minutes after Force Awakens leaves off. Nice. So the director is Ryan Johnson, who did uh, Looper and Brick and... I think it's a really a really good choice for you know to make a Star Wars movie. Um, 
I would say given the success of The Force Awakens and Rogue One, both critically and commercially, I could see them kind of just like missing on the third one, mm-hmm. uh, just given kind of like the law of averages. But <laughs> when you consider the director involved, I don't really see that happening. So, um, yeah, I mean, there's not too much to say here. I mean, it's it's the new Star Wars movie. There's good people involved. It's a lot of it's pretty much the same cast as Force Awakens, which people loved. And right. it's coming out in December, which is how you know Disney has slated these Star Wars releases. Yeah. So it's becoming like I feel like, you know. Like Christmas time will feel like because they're just you know they're planning on doing this for the next several years will like yeah. feel like oh there's a new Star Wars movie you like associate that feeling with like and there's a new Star Wars movie coming perfect. out so perfect yeah, for I mean, selling toys oh <laughs> yeah right it's just to maximize profits uh, you think Disney's <laughs> doing some uh, some marketing strategy on, on this right series? no I think it's just completely arbitrary they're like oh December yeah. I don't know it's cold people want to go inside so yeah. um so yeah that is the last Jedi and. Uh, yeah, these were our five each uh, most anticipated. And yeah, hopefully this, I think, gives you guys, um, you know, more things to look forward to this year and to, you know, get to the theater. I think uh, all 10 of these are, are just very exciting in their own ways. And mm-hmm. we can't wait to uh, consume and talk about all of them. For sure. And yeah, it, it's tough to make this list because obviously we don't know everything that's coming out and and what, you know, there's always the the hidden gems sleeper hit yeah Yeah, like the oscar movie that comes out late or is not really talked about much until late in the year and so yeah these are just 10 that jumped out on the list for us and uh yeah so it's not to say that's the only movies we're looking forward to but uh yeah did you ever want it We wanted to uh, talk a little bit about Big Little Lies, which was the HBO miniseries that just ended. Uh, Rob, you recently texted me and said the uh, finale of this show was the finest hour you've seen since Battle of the Bastards. Oh, yeah. So I wanted to kind of give you the floor sure. to, to take it away and kind of I'm just kind of curious because um, I, I haven't seen a single minute of this show, uh-huh. admittedly. Um, I'm definitely considering it, uh, especially given the reaction to that finale. Yeah. There's an A-list cast, but I kind of wanted you to like give me the elevator pitch on why I should watch it or like what's like the number one or like top two reasons someone someone should be checking this out. Sure. Uh, so yeah, go, go ahead. Yeah. So Big Little Lies, uh, it's on HBO. It's seven episodes. Um, and that right there is one of the big pitches. It's seven episodes. It's short. Digestible. It's a mini series. Yeah. And and from what I gather, it's over. Um, there's been a little bit of talk of maybe a second season, but it's based on a novel that came out in 2014 uh, of the same title by Leanne Moriarty. Um, so I, I don't really know how the novel ends. I haven't read the book, but um, I gather that the the series is over and it's a, a standalone piece. Um, so basically, like you mentioned, it's a star studded cast and Hollywood, a list, uh, people, uh, you know, Reese Witherspoon, Nicole Kidman, Shailene Woodley, um, and then Adam Scott, Alexander Skarsgård, Zoe Kravitz and Laura Dern are, you know, among many others. Um, those are some huge names and, and they bring it in this. I mean, it's, 
it seemed like just, you know, you hear this a lot. That's, oh, it's not a, it's not a TV show. It's an eight hour movie or whatever, but <laughs> right. People honest, are saying that. Yeah. Yeah. That's the new sort of buzz thing to say, but this really, I'm going to say it, it, it felt like a seven hour movie that, that was just broken up. You know, they did, they did some sort of building of the episodic, uh, nature of the show by leading into the next episode but not much i mean it really just kind of one episode ended and the next one started um yeah you said episode seven titled you get what you need is one of the best most intense uh hours of tv i've ever watched i was so yeah i was really anticipating this finale because there's you'll see and people that have watched it will know what I'm talking about. Um, just the tension building and your expectations as to what the outcome is going to be. And I don't want to give too much away, but you know, there the whole the whole show is is focused around a a death or a murder. Like mm-hmm. the the show starts with uh, um, sort of this investigation, and there's interviews by police officers, and but you never know who died. Um, so the whole time you're just sort of, oh, interesting. yeah, you're just dying to know like what happens <laughs> no at intended. the end, like who dies. Yeah. But anyway, um, just to keep going on my elevator pitch, uh, it's beautifully shot. Um, it takes place in California, in Mon- right? It takes place or, in, or is it, well, yeah, Monterey, coast? California, which is, like yeah, Monterey on the coast. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's the the Big Sur area, um, nice. and everyone knows or has seen the the Bixby Creek Bridge, which is that famous uh, bridge in Big Sur. It plays a big part in this show. It's it, the whole show is directed by uh, Jean Marc uh, Vallée, and mm-hmm. he did Dallas Buyers Club and Wild recently. He's a Canadian director, so like I said, it's a it it feels like one piece. It's it's you know all it's all directed by him, and he. He's able to to keep it focused and and really draw amazing performances out of these these actors, especially uh, the female leads, um, uh, Reese Witherspoon. I mean, I've never Does seen. Does she have the most screen time out of anyone? Was would you say she's like the main character? Um, yeah, her and Nicole Kidman, and yeah. and those two, and and Shailene Woodley, I'd say, are the three main characters, and it's just. I don't know. By the first two episodes, I was not sold, and and some people may agree with me watching. there. Yeah, but there was enough there, and it was so beautifully shot and acted uh, that I wanted to and keep it's watching. Sunday night HBO. Like, yeah, exactly. You and know, like, you're kind of just conditioned to like, eh, it, it'll probably end up being pretty good. So right. I'll just keep watching to be part of conversation. Yeah, and it, as it kept going, uh, my girlfriend and I were watching it together, and we uh, eventually, by the I'd say the fourth episode, we were really anticipating Sunday night and, and, you know, what's going to happen on this episode. And, uh, I can't say enough about that finale. Um, so yeah, I, I highly recommend it for people. And I would say stick with it. If you're not into the first couple episodes, uh, there's going to be something there that will draw you in. I, I expect, and, uh, there's some really great performances by some child actors also. And, uh, there's a lot of music, um, in the show and it's sort of a, a music, driven uh i don't know it i can't say enough i i love shouting it. it from the the cliffs of monterey i want to <laughs> <laughs> yeah i'm going to drive there tonight <laughs> um awesome 
so that yeah, that is that is uh, Rob's pitch for Big Little Lies. I think he's uh, he's he's definitely convincing me. So I, I think maybe I'll I'll watch it. We can maybe do like a spoiler sure. discussion in the uh, in the near future. Yeah. So uh, next, we wanted to talk about Five Came Back. So this is the new Netflix documentary series about Hollywood and World War II. Western civilization was at stake, and we're going to fight until we win. Five filmmakers wanted to respond as so many millions of men and women responded. They chose to serve. So Five Came Back is adopted from the book uh, from Mark Harris, which I actually read about half the book uh, last year. And it, it was really good. It's just super dense. Um, and one of those books that I just kind of, once I heard that, oh, they're making a documentary series about it, I was like, uh, let me maybe just save some time and, and, <laughs> and you know, watch, read the second half of the book by watching the full series, you know, yeah. which I'm sure other people have done. And Mark Harris, he's, um, I saw... Quinn Tarantino called him the greatest film historian of, of all time. So wow. this guy like really knows his stuff and he was like born to make uh, a book like this. So what five came back is about is it profiles uh, five directors during world war two. So Frank Capra, George Stevens, John Huston, uh, William Wyler, uh, Houston. Is that five? One, Sorry. Two, three, four. John, John, oh, Houston, John Houston. Yeah. yeah John Houston. Uh, wait, who's the fit? Wait, who am I um, missing? Capra, Stevens, Houston, Weiler, and then uh, Ford. John Ford. John Ford, yeah. yeah. Okay, there we go. And basically how they all became involved in the effort to win the war. So just like one crazy thing off the bat, just like imagine, I mean, World War II in general is just insane to think in context and like, oh man, can you imagine like literally the world at war? But this would be like taking... All those directors I mentioned are Oscar-winning, top of their game, the most well-known directors in Hollywood for the most part. I mean, this would be like if Steven Spielberg, Paul Thomas Anderson, Martin Scorsese, David Fincher, and Quentin Tarantino uh, joined the military to capture footage of a war that we were fighting in other countries, uh-huh. you know, like in 2017, right? which is like insane to think about. And, you know, these directors, they really, um, you know... Obviously, the U.S. didn't get involved in World War II until, you know, a few years after with Pearl Harbor. Um, but, you know, once we were involved, they kind of just, like, hit their ceiling in Hollywood. And with the U.S. at war, you know, everyone was pitching in. And they just kind of, like, had this higher calling of, like, I I want to do more. I want to be involved in this effort to help us win. And they basically mm-hmm. essentially shot propaganda for the war. So this is back in a time where nearly half of American audiences would go to the theaters at least once a week. Mm -hmm. And how they got their news back then was kind of like these 30-minute newsreel clips before movies. So kind of how we view trailers now. This was like news of what's happening in the world. And of course, during this time, it was all about World War II. And I think that's just crazy to think. I mean, now, I don't know what the stat is now, but... I mean, you know, more than half of the country's population going to the movies at least once a week. It just shows yeah. you how important that was to, like, the fabric of American society. Right. And uh, during Five Came Back, they uh, they interview a few different directors, uh, Steven Spielberg, Guillermo del Toro, Lawrence Kasten, uh, Francis Ford Coppola, and Paul Greengrass. Uh, Greengrass. Uh-huh. And I especially like Spielberg in this. I mean, he's just really engaging and naturally passionate. Mm-hmm. And um, I thought yeah, all I mean, of them were... Three... They, all, uh, sorry, all of them brought a lot to it and, uh, you know, their yeah. own their own perspective. And, and sorry, go ahead. Yeah, no, no, definitely. And I think, um, you know, this it's three about hour-long episodes on Netflix. Um, 
I really enjoyed it. I, I still have about 30 minutes left in the in the third episode. Mm-hmm. But um, I would say, you know, this isn't for everyone. I know we do a lot of recommendations here on this podcast, and I wouldn't say, like, everyone should should watch this. I would say, like, you know, if you definitely have any interest in film history, and particularly kind of like the golden age of Hollywood in the 1930s and 40s, and if you are, you know, interested in just U.S. and world history, World War II is such a fascinating subject. Right. Um, you know, it's actually something I, I had on like the back, like one of the episodes kind of like on in the background while I was working on something else. So it's something you can kind of, it could work in that way. But um, yeah, I think, uh, you know, just a couple of quick highlights um, throughout some of the episodes. So in episode one, the Battle of Midway sequence, um, which John Ford was actually on site at that battle capturing. He actually had like a shrapnel wound from it. I mean, uh-huh. he could have easily been killed in battle. But this was the first time Americans saw the war in color. And it was the first time they saw an American victory. So it kind of just shows how important this was for like country morale that they're right. able to, one, win this battle, but also have the, it captured in footage. Um, so I thought that was a, a really interesting part of this documentary series. I also think at the end of episode one, um, they show this Nazi propaganda film and then Frank Capra basically saying like when he saw that propaganda, he said like the war's over. We're not winning it like the quality of the filmmaking for the Nazi propaganda, he said, was so effective that he's like he was just like we've lost, which I thought was just like crazy to hear and of course that's not what ended up happening but it shows you how like skilled the nazis were at making movies like this too right um but yeah rob what were your what were your reactions to five came back well um real quick just to finish that thought you mentioned the frank capra's uh he wanted he actually ended up uh turning that uh the enemy's propaganda against them and uh used used it in the series of movies called Why We Fight, uh, the yeah, first one yeah. being called Prelude to War in 1942. And so he made he ended up making uh, seven of these films. And um, they really, the idea was to make, you say, I mean, and they call it propaganda films, but really they were more of like recruitment videos in a way and, mm-hmm. and yeah. making the country believe in what the war you know, why, why we fight literally it's in the title. Um, and why we should be standing up against Nazi Germany. Um, the reason, and, and, uh, you know, Japan and all of the, uh, the enemies in, in world war two, but yeah, the, the whole series, uh, really struck me as just, you said, interesting to see these you know, top in their field, Hollywood directors taking a huge chunk, you know, the prime of their careers to, to stand up for America and, and go, uh, not fight, Risk but their lives, you know, yeah. yeah. In, in I mean, their own way, what they could contribute to the war effort yeah. they, they did by making these films and, and being on the front line. I mean, they did, they did their part by, uh, you know, sacrificing their, potentially their lives and going and you know the the series is called five came back but they all five came back changed uh changed (laughs) (laughs) uh physically and emotionally and mentally uh it it sort of changed all of their lives as you know as as an understatement um Mm -hmm. uh william wyler even lost his hearing uh he was on a b-25 bomber uh filming 
filming some footage and and went deaf because it was so loud. Um, you mentioned John Ford was hit by some shrapnel and injured. And then George Stevens, uh, John Houston, Frank Capra, they were all uh, changed forever as men uh, just by what they saw and witnessed in, in the battles and, and what they filmed. Um, the show itself, you, you mentioned Mark Harris wrote the book, uh, and he wrote the episodes as well. Um, it's narrated by Meryl Streep, so you know there's some star power there in her voice, and just uh, she does a really great job of tying the whole thing together and and giving some narration throughout. And you mentioned the the five filmmakers that they're the the modern uh, filmmakers that they're interviewing. They all they all have a really unique perspective, um, and obviously they're film historians themselves and and World War II historians, especially Steven Spielberg, who you know, is known, uh, for his, his war films and, uh, especially later yeah, in his career. Schindler's it's it, yeah. Schindler's list, saving private Ryan, which is, right, yeah. um, which the best. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So saving private Ryan obviously starts with, uh, D day, um, which is featured in episode three. And I thought was, you know, John Ford and William Wyler were at D day. They participated in D day to capture footage right. from that. And I thought it was, uh, you know, it was crazy that, the footage from D-Day, they didn't show to the public because it was just too brutal. Even though we won that battle, mm-hmm. um, they just didn't show it to the public because they just like was too too graphic. Yeah, four thousand um, four thousand Allied yeah. forces were killed. Uh, you know, during the invasion. I mean, yeah, D-Day is like. I mean, you just need to watch the opening sequence of Saving Private yeah. Ryan to know. Uh, even though that is that is a movie, but like it's very accurate portrayal. Of, of the battle. Yeah, when we were watching that episode, uh, the third episode, and they start out with uh, this D-Day footage and, and showing George Stevens and John Ford, and, and they used an enti- you know, a whole team of, of uh, not filmmakers, but cameramen and military men who knew how to use a camera, and they took hundreds of cameras and used dozens of men to try to just capture. The, they were told, you know, sort of their mission was to capture everything you possibly can, like get the brutality we want to see we want to recount this i was struck by how this was sort of a a really conscious effort by the american military to capture history in the making you know they knew the impact and and the devastation of yeah, this long term yeah and and without this footage without these films we may you know modern society uh may not actually may know some of these things differently. yeah may not have seen yeah you know so a sequence that really jumped out of me definitely more than any other sequence in the series was in episode three where they first discover uh constant like the results of concentration camps uh-huh. um dude i mean that was like so you know the u.s they didn't they they had heard about constant these camps they thought they were just you know, they knew they weren't good. Um, they didn't know that they were extermination camps, basically. Right. And uh, the shots of George Stevens, where he, he first, they first discover like a concentration camp after, you know, tons of people have been exterminated. I mean, mm-hmm. it's, I'm not going to get into detail, but it's like bone chilling to oh, yeah. see on film. And I, I was like really taken back because it's like, I mean, yeah, the you know, documentary is intense. There's a lot of battle sequences, but that was like a whole other level. And when it comes, you're like, it's jaw dropping. And I mean, it's it's necessary that it was filmed and it totally, you know, shined a light on just the atrocities of the Holocaust and everything. Mm-hmm. But it is, man, it, it was like 
really uh, disturbing to see. Yeah, and oh shoot, I'm forgetting the name of the movie. Uh, George Stevens. Oh, he just called it, it uh, Nazi con- concentration camps, but he shot all of this footage of the camps and. Uh, like I said earlier, he wanted to be first in line to see it. He didn't want his men to go in and, and you know, uh, alter things or, or, you know, I don't know if clean up is the right word, but, you know, he wanted to be there when they were discovering the brutality and just the horror of, of what these concentration camps were. Um, and actually the footage he shot uh, sort of turned the tides during the Nuremberg trials to uh, against the uh, German forces and and sort of went a long way in in um, you know uh, finalizing the the impact of the German war crimes and and proving all of the brutality and without some of this footage you know uh, who knows how those trials would have gone um, so I mean historically they played a huge role in World War II and. Um, I, I also wanted to mention, uh, like I said earlier, they all came back changed men. Um, they weren't really able to ever break free of of what this this experience had on these men. Um, they just had a hard time. I know Frank Capra did "It's a Wonderful Life," right, right. After which, kind of like makes sense to make a movie like that after going through yeah the experience of war to make a movie that's like all about appreciating just life and, and living exactly and that, and, you know, and like cool. uh, reflecting on what your life means and everything and that's that's the theme of it's a wonderful life which when it came out was actually a sort of a, a flop and didn't do well oh. which i i did not know that um you know because now it's it's sort of a a perennial film you see at christmas everybody in the you know seems like everybody in the world has seen um but when they came back capra uh steven george stevens and william wyler uh, we're just having a hard time uh, accepting like the studio process and and taking notes from all these studio heads. So they they formed Liberty Films, uh, which was their own sort of production company. Um, mm. And I wanted to also mention, uh, or and out of that came uh, the best years of our lives, which is you know uh, it was made by I believe William Wyler and uh, it won him the best uh, best director award at the Oscars, but. Uh, John Huston made Let There Be Light, which was a film, um, I think it's in the last 30 minutes of the third episode, so you may not have seen this yet, but uh, it's it was showing a rehabilitation hospital uh, for men suffering from PTSD, as we, know, as we now know it as. Uh, back then, it was just sort of like not really understood what these men were facing and going through and they were just suffering so deeply by what they experienced um and this film uh really went a long way in uh depicting this aspect of war and it was kind of the first uh recorded on film uh, account of of what these men go through in their in their post-war struggle um and it was actually it was supposed to be shown at a, a film festival in new york and it was seized by the by the American War Committee, um, because they 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 weren't sure that audiences were ready for it, and they didn't know how it would impact morale of the country. But now you can watch it on Netflix, so uh, <laughs> so it's just it's yeah. funny, um, you know, like how much effort these men went through, and and the struggle they went 
through to put these movies out and and some of them were were not seen by the American public but uh I wanted to mention all five of these directors have films on on Netflix that you can watch that are directly related to this documentary so it came out this documentary came out I guess uh, a week or two ago and I don't know if Netflix signed some sort of deal with uh with whoever owns the rights to these films but uh they if you search the director's names, uh, they all have films on Netflix right now that are directly related to Five Came Back. So you can watch some of the films on after you watch this documentary. You can watch some of the films that are directly touched upon in, in the documentary. So I haven't done that yet, but I, I certainly will. So uh, to cap this episode off, we're going to, I think, lighten the mood a bit. I mean, yeah, Five Came Back is pretty uh, intense discussion. But um, so um, we wanted to quickly just touch on in the last few minutes of this episode. So Shia LaBeouf, um, as we all know, had a new movie out. It's called Man Down. It premiered in the UK recently. And during its opening weekend in the UK... It literally sold one ticket. <laughs> um, so this is all exactly true. And like, I think, okay, some uh, one caveat or one uh, one thing to mention with the one ticket uh, that it, it was only released in, in one theater in the UK. Still, that is very hard to pull off. I mean, this guy, you know, he's been a celebrity for the last, you know, 15 years. Does he not have you know, friends, family members, business people, employees of the film studios, people involved, you know, like one person. Right. I mean, it's just like shocking. There's no one in the UK, which is like a huge media market that would see this movie opening weekend. Um, you know, so this movie Man Down, it's the psychological post-war thriller. The trailer is pretty bad. I mean, it looks like it just takes itself like super seriously. Um, it got, it got really awful reviews. It was a 14% on Rotten Tomatoes. That didn't help. Mm -hmm. But I'm just like baffled that this happened in 2017. <laughs> I, know, I mean, I know Shia LaBeouf, he isn't, he isn't in his prime, but like, come on. Like, I don't know. I, I feel like this is more of a failure of the marketing of it more than anything else. Yeah. But like. Just the the drastic extent of like one ticket, right? Like it would have been crazy if it was only like fifteen tickets, <laughs> you know, like one ticket. Um, so I don't know. It, it's it, I found it uh kind of hilarious and sad. It is funny. <laughs> yeah, it it's it's sort of like a goof story because, like you said, it only came out in one theater in Burnley, England, which is not the biggest town. Um, oh, is that and, town? Yeah, but yeah. I mean, it does have some star power with Shia LaBeouf and Kate Mara, but it it's sort of a funny, uh, you know, sort of, like everyone loves to pile on Shia. I'm not exactly sure. <laughs> you're a Shia. Why. He's you're done. A Shia, uh, I'm an apologist. Yeah. yeah, I know. Yeah, you, I, I yeah. am. In college, um, I, I saw an actual Variety headline, which I didn't read, but I saw the headline that uh, Shia LaBeouf's Man Down sells additional two tickets. Ooh. So. I think it's uh it's getting some word of mouth. It's growing. It's uh gaining gaining steam. Yeah. And, you know maybe maybe uh will the joke will be on us and this movie you know takes off. But uh it seems to be doing better. But just seeing that headline was like uh, this is pretty funny. A quick shout out. This movie was directed by Dito Montiel or Dito Montiel. Um, and he also did he also worked with Shia in 2006 on A Guide to Recognizing Your Saints. Oh yeah. And you ride with that um, movie. That's a good. Yeah movie. I. I, yeah, I really liked it. So maybe this movie didn't work and it was it was a flop, but A Guide to Recognizing Your Saints is worth checking out. Yeah, definitely. 
So uh, that's it for this episode of Must Go Faster. Thanks so much for listening. Uh, If you like what you heard, please remember to rate and review us on iTunes or Stitcher. Uh, You can check out our website at mustgofasterpod.com where you have links to all our social accounts and all the episodes and whatnot. So uh, thanks again for listening, and we'll be back soon with uh, another episode. And in the words of Carrie Hinn as Newt in Aliens, And they mostly come at night. Mostly. And they mostly come at night. Mostly.